At Keeley Companies, culture sets them apart. They are dedicated to the safety, the well-being, and the career growth of every employee, which they refer to affectionately as the Keelians. Recently, they launched a new cultural pillar called Keeley One, focusing on diversity and inclusion. Senior Project Manager Henry Isaacs says that understanding everyone is unique and different is critical. We have to recognize our individual differences and that everyone deserves to be included and have their voice heard. For Keeley, this focus on diversity and inclusion has been a huge morale booster. It makes people more excited to come into work, which correlates to greater retention and enhances their overall culture. Now, when establishing your culture of diversity and inclusion, Henry has some great advice for us. Have an open mind and be willing to step out of our comfort zone. That's number one. Number two, take the time to truly learn, to seek wisdom around different cultures, different races, and different religions. Do the work, in other words. And then thirdly, reach out to someone different from you and be intentional in having an open and honest conversation with them. End the sentences with question marks. It's great advice from Henry, and I want to thank my friends from Keeley Companies for being proud sponsors, partners, and super fans of the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Numerous researchers have found that moments of joy have a positive effect on physical health, productivity, creativity, and resilience. And yet, still many of us see joy as an abstract, ambivalent emotion undeserving of any real attention, especially in our work or even in our day-to-day lives. Yet, would you expect when negotiators have moments of joy, they are far more likely to discover win-win outcomes? Would you expect that when doctors have had moments of joy, they are quicker to make a correct diagnosis of their patients? If you are overflowing with joy, or if you could use some help breaking free from the monotonous hamster wheel, you're going to love today's guest. Design expert Ingrid Fatel-Lee has spent over a decade researching the relationship between happiness and our surroundings. She's worked with iconic brands such as Target, Kate Spade, Pepsi. She's been featured in the New York Times, on the Today Show, and her wildly popular TED Talk has been viewed more than 17, no, not thousand, 17 million times. Today's conversation will empower you to be more intentional on what joy means to you and then dedicating yourself to finding more joy in your life, in your work, in your relationships every day of your life and sharing that joy with others. You're going to love today's podcast. I'm going to get out of the way so I can bring on someone that you are going to fall in love with. Her name is Ingra Fatel-Lee. Get ready to be reminded of the impact joy has on your health. I should know. Resilience and well-being, as well as actionable tips to find joy all around you. So, Ingrid, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. 
Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, you and I were chatting a little before we hit record and I feel like I'm already having a coffee or a tea or a glass of wine with a friend. So uh, I'm looking forward to introducing to my friends, someone that they will, I think, look up to, but also deeply connect with. Thank you for that. Feels like it's such a warm welcome and such a warm welcoming community to be coming into. So thank you for the, the embrace. I was able to introduce you on the front side, but if you and I bumped into each other in a grocery store and we'd not met each other previously and you introduce yourself as Ingrid, and then I asked the question, Ingrid, what do you do? What do you do? How do you respond to that these days? I say I study joy. It really comes from the fact that First of all, I've been doing it for 14 years now, so it does define me, but also I feel like being defined by my curiosity about a thing is the most exciting way to explain what I do. I study joy and I try to understand it. And then I try to take what I've learned and uh, pass it on. I know the origin story, 2008, and the professors gathered around your work. We'll, We'll come across that bridge here in a moment. But was joy always something as a child that you were pursuing? Were you always curious about whether it's design, shapes, colors, rainbows, joy? I had people in my life who pointed me toward joy. My grandmother, um, who I called Nana, was uh, an incredibly creative person. Um, She came over from Australia. Um, She met my grandfather during World War II. Um, He was a GI. She came over, married him. She worked as a milliner, uh, someone who makes hats. Um, She used to restore furniture. She would go to estate sales and buy up the most broken down, beat up furniture and refinish it, bring it back to life. She taught me how to sew. Um, I used to spend a month with my grandparents every summer when I was a kid in their like retirement community. And this was bliss for me. I was so happy. I would go down there and I would swim every day. We would go to the art store, mostly to the craft store. And I would say, can we make scrunchies this week? Or can we, (laughs) can I learn oil painting? And Nana would take me and, uh, and we would get materials and we would muddle through different projects and having that nurturing of that creative spirit and someone who just love beauty and, and love to make it herself and to make it for other people. I think I became very aware of the, the power in the physical world um, Mm. to inspire us and to give us these little moments of, um, of what I call joy. That's That's a beautiful response it's one thing to make scrunchies with Nana. It's another thing to make, you know, oil paintings in the summertime with her. It's a completely different thing though, to imagine as you age, I guess I could make this a career. When did you realize that what you were doing for joy and what you were doing just for fun, ultimately could be something that you do professionally. I had that moment in design school, you know, with the professors where they looked at my work and, and said that it gave them a feeling of joy. And I, went off and started researching joy and trying to understand it. And something had called me to design school in the first place, something, some desire to be able to make things. I had been working in market research and then branding. I had been doing a lot of work with trying to 
get other people's products into the world. That's basically, I think what you're doing when you're branding and marketing. And I really just wanted to make things with my hands. And so I went to school for industrial design. I felt this intense sense of satisfaction. I thought, I don't know what I'm going to make. I don't know if I'm going to make chairs. I don't know if I'm going to make iPhones. I don't know what exactly I'm going to design, but I know that it feels good to be able to take ideas out of my head and bring them into the world. That was what was so satisfying. And I think the roots of that are in those, those crafting sessions with my grandmother. So I have this moment and I'm thinking about how design and joy could be related. And at that point, it certainly wasn't, oh, this will be my career. It was like, okay, well, this is an interesting avenue to explore. And that's always the way it starts for me. It's always, well, I have questions. Let me go find answers. And when the answers are hard to find, that's when I started to realize that that could be a career. Mm. Because the answers weren't there. There was a gap to be filled. I needed to understand how do these two things connect? This design that I love, that I feel so much joy in participating in, in looking at, in creating. And how does that relate to other people's joy? How does that relate to the, what's happening on a cellular, on a neurological, on a chemical level when I'm in the presence of those things? That's what I wanted to understand. And I'm still trying to understand it. And I think when you first even began to understand it, it wasn't exactly something that you were wanting to understand. My understanding is that you're in your first year of design school. They are, these professors are analyzing your work. They're critiquing you and grading you. And there's a lot of pressure as a young lady and a young leader. Uh, there's silence. And then eventually one of the professors breaks the silence with how he feels. Would you, would you tell us how he felt when he looked at your work? He said, this gives me a feeling of joy. And I thought, well, that's weird because I, at the time was so serious about this work I was doing. Um, It's a classic like first year design student perspective, right? I came in and I was like, I'm gonna do sustainable design. I'm gonna do the most ergonomic design. I was really interested in function and designing for people's needs. And I thought, Joy, what does that have to do with anything? And it took a moment before it clicked in it. And I thought, well, okay, let's say you're right. Then how, how does that happen? Why does that happen? And it it took even longer till I was into the research to understand that actually this is deceptive. We think of joy as this light, fluffy, airy thing, but in fact, joy is so integral to what it means to be a healthy, fulfilled human being. What seemed to me as a distraction from all of the important work that I was supposed to be doing, right? This, like, I was going to save the planet with sustainable design, but actually there is an important piece to understanding how to design for joy because more moments of joy actually have all sorts of positive effects on our physical health, on our productivity, on our creativity, um, and even on our resilience. And so this idea that joy was a distraction um, quickly faded away as I started to get into the research and understood that joy wasn't just this extra in life. You're dropping the word joy an awful lot, maybe without defining it. And I think sometimes people view joy as very similar to happy 
or pleasure or you know a whole lot of other words we could use out there to describe a child's smile when they open up a Christmas present. How do you define joy? Defining it in relationship to happiness is probably the easiest way to do it. So happiness has to do with um, how we feel about our lives over time. It includes a range of different factors, how we feel about our health, uh, how connected we feel to other people, whether we feel like we have a sense of meaning and purpose in life, how we feel about our work. All of those things go into this kind of complex equation that we call happiness. Joy is much simpler and immediate. Joy is an intense momentary experience of positive emotion. And um, so it's, it's not about how we feel over time. It's about how we feel right now in this moment. And that's something we can measure through direct physical expressions, things like smiling, a, a, a child's smile or a, your smile, uh, my smile. Um, a, a laughter uh, is another common expression of joy, a feeling like you want to jump up and down. Often there's an upward feeling when it comes to joy. And in fact, I've noticed this. I now have a a 13 month old. Um, and when he is excited, when he feels joy, his little arms go up in the air, right? The same way we do at a, you know, at a game, when our team scores a goal, like there's a jubilation that happens and, and everything goes upward. So joy is about these little moments that make us feel a little bit more alive. Mm. And that is their power. It's easy to overlook these little moments and focus on the big milestones. I'll be happy when I get that promotion. I'll be happy when I buy the house. I'll be happy when I find the right partner. And those, most of those things are not in our control. And so if we start to pin our happiness to that, which is how culturally I think we're, we think about happiness, uh, it can feel very out of our control. It can feel very vague. It can be, feel very amorphous. Even when we have those things, we're still not sure we're happy. Mm. But when we focus on joy, we can focus on these little moments in life and just creating a few more of them. And when we come back to design, this idea of design is impossible to design happiness. It's so complicated, right? But we can design a few more moments of joy into our days into, into a city, into, um, into a hospital, for example, if we can design a few more moments, we can have a meaningful impact on our well-being and the well-being of all the people in those spaces. As you're talking about joy and, and the brilliance that comes from a child's smile when they experience that, my son, Patrick, I have four children. He loves baseball. Took him to a baseball game a couple of weeks back. Foul ball comes down the right field line. Long story made short, this little man catches the ball and he looks at me with this face of joy. There, there is not a better word to describe his face. And I was fortunate enough that there happened to be a guy three rows behind us filming the at bat, which means he captured the foul ball, the ball landing, and then Patrick turning to his dad, looking down with this joy on his face. And I, I'm, I captured not only the video from this guy, but that moment. And I'm actually having it turn into a painting not so much for that moment itself, but as much as the call to be more joyful in every moment. So I, I really love what you're talking about, how, yeah, if you seek it in these, the ice cream cone with a little little flavor on top, the chocolate chips, that's joy, but the ice cream melts. Yeah, that, that's true, the ice cream does melt, but that moment doesn't need to, that moment doesn't need to. So my question to you in a world that is so mundane, and filled with traffic and email and workflow and 24 hour news cycle and another shooting up north and a fire down south, how do we seek more joy? How do, how do we seek more of these moments of, of true happiness, true peace? So the way that I often like to describe this is as you are, you're creating more opportunities for joy, you're putting yourself in the path of joy 
more often. We often think about joy as something we need to find, but actually it's something we can we can create, we can create the conditions for joy. So there are different ways to do this. This is very basic, but think about the kinds of things that bring you joy in life, reflect over the last month, or even go back further to your childhood. What are some of the things in your childhood that you love to do that brought you so much joy that maybe you stopped doing and start to do more of those things, bring more of those things into the day-to-day. Once you realize that it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be hours of doing something. It could be a few minutes. You know, when I was a kid, I loved staring up at the clouds and just looking at the shapes in the clouds. How often do I do that now? Almost never. But if I made three minutes a day to go outside and do that thing, that is a repeatable moment of joy that I can bring into my life. So finding the things that bring you joy, doing them more often. I also think we can create the conditions for those moments in our lives at home, for example. So thinking about family dinner, if you want family dinner to be a moment of joy, how have you created a space that feels joyful and exciting for your family to gather? Maybe it's around having colorful candles or a colorful table, something that feels like a beacon that draws you to the places that you want to be spending your time and sets the stage for the kinds of experiences you want to be having. Or if you have fond memories of game nights and that's something you don't do with your family now, maybe the answer is a really accessible games closet that you go through and you go with your kids and you pick out a few games that you all love and you order them and you put them in this place that is central to your house. It's not in the attic or in the basement. It's central. It's about prioritizing those moments and just recognizing that they don't just happen on their own. Sometimes Mm. they do. And that's great, but that's why we have this myth in our heads that it's just something we need to find. But if we actually start to think about it as, oh, I can take charge of that. I can create those moments in my life, then life looks a lot different. So I want to come back in a moment to creating those moments very intentionally. But before we do more broadly, I think the way we design architecture these days is influence our our joy or our lack thereof. My, My father had surgery five weeks ago in one hospital, recovered for three weeks in another, and then recovered for two additional weeks in essentially a retirement home. In the hospital, it was gray. In the recovery hospital, it was kind of light tan. Every floor, wall, (laughs) everywhere I looked was beige, man. His bed was beige. Every I was lost in a sea of beige. And then I walk into this retirement home and dark and gloomy. And it looked like uh, your end was near, not only for my father, but for his wife, for his children and for their grandchildren. The end is near. Come on in, people. Come on in. When I looked through your work, though, I saw very different designs, not only for retirement homes, not only for hospitals, not only for schools, but for all things. Would you talk about design and how it can steal our joy, but also how it can fill us with far more of it? So when I left this review uh, with my professors where they said my work gave them a feeling of joy, one of the first things I did was start to talk to people about the things and places that brought them joy. And as I looked at these things, I noticed that there were some things that seemed to bring joy the world over. Things like bubbles and cherry blossoms and rainbow sprinkles and rainbows and confetti, right? These are things that you find all over the world, kites and tree houses, all different kinds of things. And so what I did was I started to pin the pictures of these things up on my wall, kind of like what you see behind me right now. I have a wall with pictures, um, all different kinds of images uh, behind me, like a mood board. And that's what I did. I pinned pictures of these images of these things up on my wall. And I started 
trying to make sense of it. And one day I, something just clicked. I noticed all these patterns. There were round shapes. There were pops of bright color. There were things that float and fly, um, have a sense of elevation to them. There was a sense of abundance and multiplicity, like what you find in sprinkles and confetti, lots of little things together, polka dots, stripes, all of those things um, share that sense of abundance and multiplicity. And altogether, I identified 10 of these characteristics, which I call aesthetics of joy. They're basically sensory qualities that we can identify in the world around us that have a distinct and universal connection to joy. The world over, they're joyful. And a lot of them go back to our evolutionary history. So for example, one of the reasons that um, psychologists speculate that we might be attracted to bright color has to do with the evolution of our color vision. Our color vision evolved to see ripe fruits and young leaves um, in the treetop canopies back when our ancestors were primates. One of the theories is that we evolved this love of color because it's a suggestion of energy. It's a suggestion of ripeness, of nourishment. And even though there's no physical nourishment anymore, that link was so strong and so consistent over generations and generations of evolution that now when we see a bright building, we feel energized. We feel alive. We feel like we're going toward a place that has life in it. Coming back to your hospital example, we look at many of the places that we spend most of our time, these aesthetics are missing. And why are they missing? We have to ask ourselves that, right? Because if these are the things that we're so excited about and so attracted to, and they make us feel alive, why aren't they in these important places in our society? And the reason I believe is that we have a cultural bias that equates those things, those aesthetics of joy and joy itself with being superfluous, frivolous, mm -hmm. unnecessary. Um, so we see joy as this extra, extraneous thing. It's not essential to life. It's a luxury. Um, and when we treat it as a luxury, then by definition, when we go to places that are really about the necessities, like a hospital, we say sterile, check, safe, check, joyful, why bother? And so we see this, and I think it's really acute in places you described, places that tend to house people who are more vulnerable, yeah. uh, nursing homes, hospitals, homeless shelters, housing projects, right? Uh, the places that house the people who have less privilege in our society tend to be the least joyful. Um, and that's something that I hope that uh, people my work and, and others is calling attention to, and hopefully we can start to, to fix that. So good. So I have a dear friend who's also been a podcast guest named Eric Jenis. He is an orchestra leader. He is a songwriter and he's one of the finest guys I've ever met. He intentionally has left behind the affluence of pre presenting in front of live large audiences and now only goes into prisons. Mm -hmm. And he does that because of his very first experience, he was stunned and pained by how gray the walls were and how lifeless this this room was not only structurally but for the human beings within it and so now what he does is he brings moments of joy he brings moments of beauty into these guys and into these ladies lives who otherwise were exposed to none so i, I just wanted to give eric a big shout out for the work that he does it does matter and the work you're doing certainly it matters as well ingrid i showed my wife last night a picture of three tables four chairs around each table brilliant. It looked like confetti on the ceiling dropping down. And I said, Hey, Beth, what do you think this is a picture of? And she, her answer, rightly so, it seemed was a picture of a little library, probably at an elementary school. 
And I said, no, I'm interviewing a lady tomorrow. I told her your story. And I'm like, this is a picture from a retirement home. This is a picture of joy, of, of calling people back to vibrancy in life. For our listeners who have some ability to influence design, whether that is in a retirement home, a prison, or in their own master bedroom or downstairs breakfast room, what are some ideas that we could bring to light that might actually take us away from the rigidity and the dullness that we used to design with to something with a little bit more life in it? So the example that I think you're talking about from your description is the Shinjuan nursing home. It's in Japan. It's designed by the architect Emmanuel Moreau, and she uses these multiple colored balls in a very actually quite peaceful white space with green chairs. It's, it's a quite a calming environment. But what I love about that example is that when I talked to the head of the nursing home, he said that families visit longer with the residents since they redesigned that space. Um, so I think it's understanding that these changes are to bring you joy, they're to bring others joy, but, uh, but they also change behavior in surprising ways. Color attracts, right? Color brings us toward things. So I think color is a really powerful one and it doesn't matter. There's lots of color psychology out there that's like use blue for this, use red for that. It actually looking at most of the research, it doesn't really matter. Choose colors you love and choose bright ones. One of my favorite ways to use color, it doesn't have to be a ton of color, but is to paint your front door. That's a way of sending a message to your community that you're just, you wanna give out joy to your community. But it's also the first thing you see when you come home, the last thing you see when you leave the house. Um, and that's a way to infuse just a moment of joy into every time you come and go from your home. So color is a really powerful one. Another one is, is nature and plants, bringing in elements of nature, bringing plants in. Of course, we've seen a massive plant boom during the pandemic, uh, which was already underway before that, as people have started to realize that as they're spending more and more time at home, we need some exposure to those natural sensations, natural elements. Um, and there's all sorts of research that shows that having plants around can decrease blood pressure, can decrease other physical markers of stress, um, can, and can even increase a sense of cooperation and generosity toward others. So definitely having plants around is another good one. Having an element of surprise, something that, um, and it sort of seems odd, how can you design surprise into your home? One of the things I did in my last house was paint big cabana stripes on the inside of our hall closet. So that's something that if you're anxious about living with color and you think, I don't know if I could paint my walls bright blue, um, but you could put some stripes or some fun wallpaper or something playful inside a closet or inside a drawer or inside a space so that every time you open it, you get that little burst of joy. So there are all sorts of ways to create surprises. You can also leave little treats in your in your pockets or in, in someone else's pockets um, as a way of sort of giving them a little burst of joy. So those are a few little things that you can do right away to create more joy in your space. We have listeners who join us from 50 states and I believe 75 countries, which is phenomenal. And knowing the family tuning in right now, I would imagine some are thinking, you know, this is sweet. And I'm glad for the retirees that they might have a little bit more colory balls above their heads when their family comes to visit them. And I'm glad there's a little bit of music now in prisons. And I'm glad for them, but there's no real practical application to me. So if, if someone right now is sitting back, maybe with their arms crossed thinking, what, what's the real benefit here to me? What are some benefits in seeking and then discovering joy for them? The list is long, so I'm going to just choose some of the highlights. Um, but there's research that shows that 
sharing a moment of joy with someone else um, can increase a sense of trust, intimacy, and connection in relationships. Uh, so we often think about uh, relationships being about being there for each other when things are tough, um, but actually making sure that you share those moments of joy is what builds the foundation in those relationships for uh, the, the, the strength and resilience we'll need later. Joy has been shown to improve many work-related measures. So for example, negotiators uh, who are in a joyful state of mind reach more win-win agreements. Doctors who have been primed uh, with a, a little burst of joy before they go into a session actually come to a correct diagnosis more quickly. There is research that shows that we make better decisions when we're in a joyful mindset and we consider more scenarios in the process of making a decision than we would if we were in a more neutral or negative state of mind. Um, some studies show that we're up to 12% more productive uh, when we access that state of joy, which is an extra hour of leisure that you could have every day by bringing a little bit more joy into your workspace um, and into your work life. There are a, a wide range of measures um, where these little moments of joy might seem very trivial, but actually um, they can have profound effects. And there are studies that show the connection to workspace as well. So for example, when you compare people who are working in a minimal, dull, bland workspace, kind of like the gray cubicles that we're used to, and you compare those to people working in what they call an enriched workspace that has art and plants in it, people are 15% more productive. So it's not just, uh, I'll feel happier. It's actually that there are physiological benefits from bringing a little bit more joy into the space. Beautiful. And I, I'm going to quote to you quotes that I've borrowed from you. So these should not be the very first time you've heard these. They might be for some of our listeners. They speak for themselves, but I'd like you to tell me what you mean when you wrote or when you shared these. So just things that moved me that I've read from you in the past. The thing about joy in order to feel it fully is we must embrace our sadness too. Dang, that's good. So I'm going to read it one more time. The thing about joy in order to feel it fully is we must embrace our sadness too. When people hear me talk about joy, I think sometimes they think, okay, so some bright colors and you're just gonna make everything happy all the time. And I'm just supposed to put on a smile and just always be happy. Um, but that's, I think a really superficial reading of what we're talking about here. A rich full life has both joy and sorrow and we can't numb our sorrow without also numbing our joy. When we blunt our capacity to feel sorrow, we also blunt our capacity to feel joy. So those two things are integrally linked. And when we allow ourselves to feel the depth of our sorrow, we give ourselves access to the height of our joy. Part of that has to do with the fact that to feel either of these things, it means being involved in your life. It means being attached, being immersed, um, being connected. To, to things. When we are connected to people, to things, to our communities, to our surroundings, we care what happens to them. And so of course, the very things that bring us joy, when we lose them, when they suffer, we will feel sorrow. We can't break that link. And so if you're holding yourself back from sorrow because you want to just put on a happy face and push through it, recognize that that is in some ways also limiting the upside. It's limiting the potential for joy that you can feel. So paradoxical. It is. It is. And you, you have also heard you say, and I don't have this in my notes in front of me right now, but you talked about how the opposite of joy really is not anger or dread or fear and all the other negative terms. The opposite is truly numbness, numbness. 
just tell me what you mean by that. Joy is, is a depth of feeling. It's, it's light, but it actually also is quite deep. When we numb ourselves, uh, we make it impossible to feel that. So I think it, it is the numbness that is the antithesis of a, a whole, rich, joyful, satisfying life. Next quote is this, burnout often has as much boredom in it as exhaustion. That was surprising when I read it. I read it three times before I started nodding my head like, you know what, right on. So I'll read it again and then you tell me what you mean. Burnout often has as much boredom in it as it does exhaustion. It's so interesting because I recently did a little Instagram poll to ask people how they're feeling right now. And I was really surprised by the answer because there's a lot of reopening going on and there seems to be a lot of joy in the air. And the response was 36% joyful and 64% blah. And when I asked people about the kind of blah they were feeling, a lot of it was this sense of, I feel like a hamster on a wheel. Mm. I feel a sense of monotony. Each day is the same. I feel stuck. I feel like I'm ready for a change, but I don't know how or where to make that happen. And I think that's a big component of burnout. Sometimes burnout is just physical exhaustion, but sometimes burnout it's, it is almost a kind of numbness, right? It's a stuckness that we get where we're not feeling fully in our lives. We don't feel a sense of satiation. And I think coming back to the physical world can be a really powerful, can be one powerful way into that. I'm actually working on something right now um, called the Joy Jumpstart, which is all about addressing this sense of burnout through joy. Not necessarily addressing it through, yes, of course you need to go home and sleep, but some people who are burned out can go home and sleep for a week or a month and still not feel recharged because mm. the, the kind of replenishment that we need is to reconnect to the side of ours that feels fun, to remember what it feels like to feel joy and excitement and to be excited to sit down and do something creative and when that's gone, I think that's when we are really vulnerable to that sense of exhaustion. So it's, it, I think it's the two things together. I was on a professional podcast yesterday and the gentleman interviewing me kept asking about resilience. And what, John, where, where did yours come from? And I, I keep answering with various, I, I think, reasons why resiliency can be leveraged and then utilized and then grown going forward. But he kept asking again and again and again. And so finally, I said, you know what, one of the best things that I do every day is I spend a lot of time in nature, in nature. And I said, I, I just get filled up for the day when I get to watch the sunrise, when I get to hear those birds sing, when I get to feel that light against my face, and I get to step into that day thinking that today's going to be even better than yesterday. So that attaches not only to what you said a moment ago around refilling yourself with joy, but also around this quote that I also wrote down from you. And it is this, the blossoming of the tree, the rising of the sun, the flow of the tides, these recurring events remind us of time's circular nature and create an underlying cadence of joy that we can rely on. You're big into circles. You're big into nature. Tell me how any of this has anything to do with joy and ultimately what it has to do with our lives. Well, the, the quote that you just shared is from a chapter called Renewal, uh, which is all about aesthetics of growth, potential, blossoming, and change. As humans, we have a natural desire to feel a sense of growth, a sense of that we're moving, that we're progressing. And we were just talking about that feeling of being stuck in our lives. Maybe it's the feeling of 
watching everyone around you get married and have kids while you're still single, or you feel stuck in your job and you're watching other people get promoted. We all go through these moments where we feel stuck, remembering that this is just a moment in life. It is not the whole of life that we go through periods where life is going to move fast and life is going to move slow, that we're going to have an ebb and a flow. It mirrors the way that emotion works in our bodies, right? So emotion is, again, it's not this constant thing. We have, when we think about happiness, we think about a constant thing. We think happily ever after we think I'm going to get there and then everything's going to be good. And we know from experience that that is never the case because as soon as you get to that place, I think it was Don Draper on a madman. He said, what is happiness? Happiness is just a moment before you need more happiness, right? It's this constant addiction and escalation and new needs. Whereas joy is, is a rise and fall. It's a recognition that emotions move through us. The longest an emotion might be with you is a few hours. Maybe in a very intense experience, you might have an emotion for a few days, but emotions move quickly through our bodies. They go up and down and recognizing that rise and fall and seeing that in the world around us, seeing that sense of change, transition, movement, ebb and flow. I think it really helps remind us like when you go watch the sunrise or I go down to the water near my house and I watch the tides, it reminds us that we are part of something that's moving and that whatever we're going through, it's not going to be that way forever. Watching the tides in Long Island, I find far more enjoyable than watching the tides of the Mississippi River where I currently live. I will say to you, though, we do have some beautiful rivers around here. And when you are in nature and when you see the movement of water, it also, I think, reflects the movement of life, which you are always calling us to see, identify, and prosper in. You also pr provided a list. I believe it's in your book. I know it's also on your social media channel, but 10 ways to start the day on a joyful note. So I, I don't worry, listeners, right now, don't turn the channel. I, I won't go through all 10, but I do want to call out a couple. Number four. Number four is this. Read a poem first thing. Why in the world, as a man who is busy and has a million obligations, should I consider reading a poem first thing? This was life-changing for me when I did this. I had a real phone addiction. I mean, who doesn't these days, right? It lives right by our beds. It's really hard. You use it as your alarm clock. It's the first thing you look at in the morning. And first thing I looked at was email. Ooh, stressful. Look at <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, right? Scroll, 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 scroll. And a poem is like the antithesis of this. A poem is someone who quietly and slowly observed something about the world, some truth, and committed it to paper. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about reading a poem first thing in the morning, and it's not a current practice of mine because I have a, a tiny alarm clock um, who wakes me up at six every morning, it slows everything back down. And it's very small. I'm not saying read a whole chapter of a book. I'm not saying, you know, do something major. I'm saying one poem that might take 10 seconds. That might take at most a minute. Um, but, and when you get through the book, I mean, it might take you a month, depending on what kind, what poetry book you choose. It might take you a few months, but there's a real sense of satisfaction that just the slow effort every day, it's a reminder that slow, small things every day actually add up to something meaningful. So mm -hmm. that's one I, I highly recommend as a, as a joyful start to the day. 
They're all great. I'll give you one more, which is to make a joyful breakfast. Although you didn't tell me exactly how to do that. So tell me now and tell our listeners, how in the world do we define what a joyful breakfast is and how do we make the time to make it? So much of it is what's joyful to you. I mean, it might be pancakes for you. It might be, for me, it's, it's very basic. It's muesli, but it's, I home make my own muesli. I put fruit in it. And then I have this, like, I put crystallized ginger on it. And that to me is like a treat because it's candy. Um, But I can tell myself it's healthy because ginger's good for your digestion or whatever. But um, it's funny because my husband saw me making this the other day and he was like, you basically make yourself like a healthy Sunday every morning for breakfast. I put some fruit in there. I put some yogurt. I use coconut yogurt. The point is make yourself something that feels like something you're looking forward to. It doesn't just have to be something you shovel down and it it does take a few more minutes, but it also is something that you can kind of make. I mean, a lot of breakfast things you can make ahead of time. So you do it before you go to bed. And then it's something that's made for you when you wake up in the morning, if you like overnight oats or whatever, there are so many ways to do it, but I think it's really about focusing back in on taking something that is often joyless. Um, It's just a slog. It's just a thing rush thing you do and just infusing a little bit of joy into it. So much of your work and I mean this as a, pr- a praise statement, but here it comes, is so common sense. It, it's so like obvious, a little color, man, might bring a little bit of peace to people, might bring a little bit of joy, a wonderful breakfast, the lights on in the morning, get outside, like obvious things that in the race through life, as we sprint from email into the next meeting, we miss. And so what I hear so clearly in all of your work is just being far more intentional on what it means to you and then dedicating yourself to living into it. So my my final question before we wrap up with the Live Inspired 7 is you mentioned an alarm clock that beeps or sings or wails at about six o'clock every morning. How has that little alarm clock made it more difficult, if you're being honest about it, for you to find joy in your life over the the last 12 months? And how has that beautiful little alarm clock made that joy so much easier for you to see everywhere around you? Mm -hmm. It's true. You know, that little alarm clock changes life irrevocably. He comes into the world and especially came into the world in the middle of a pandemic and it changes everything. He makes it harder to find joy sometimes because, you know, as a parent, you had a freedom before that you don't have anymore. Um, You are always thinking about this little guy and you're always thinking, you know, my husband and I just for the first time played tennis in a year. Um, because we finally had childcare and someone we could feel like we could leave him with. And, um, so we could go do that together, but there are just certain things that I don't have time for anymore. And I think maybe if I'd had a child younger, um, I might have really missed those things, but, uh, it took long enough to get him here that I'm, I'm pretty okay with saying goodbye to those things for now. I know they'll come back again. It's that idea of, there's time for everything. And uh, it's not time for those kinds of things right now. On the easier front, I mean, my goodness, he sees everything. He sees everything. And um, I have a practice I often talk about called joy spotting, where you go out and you just, you know, walking your dog or you're commuting or whatever you're doing, you tune your senses to joy. Uh, Notice favorite colors, notice things that smell nice, notice shapes you like, just pay attention to things that give you this feeling of joy in the world around you. I mean, he's just a little joy machine. He's just, he's a, he's a professional joy spotter. And it is so true that we 
we come with this ability and we lose it over time. It's not that we have to teach ourselves. You don't have to teach yourself how to joy spot. You just have to rediscover it. Um, and that's true for anyone who's feeling disconnected from joy in their life right now. You don't have to teach yourself joy. You don't have to find joy. You just have to reconnect with it and rediscover it because it is in you. And it has always been there, whether or not you wanted to listen to it. Um, so he, he sees the things and it's wonderful to be able to rediscover those things through his eyes. The idea of being a professional joy spotter. So yeah, I'm glad your 13 month old has become this job title and has paid handsomely for it with, with <laughs> love. But gosh, I think that ought to be something we all strive for. So uh, if you're looking for a couple of takeaways from today's message, I think being far more intentional in seeking joy, you will recognize as you progress through life that what you seek, you find. So why not seek joy? I think the media does a phenomenal job of seeking the negative. Mm -hmm. I think we joy spotters ought to be professional and very intentional in seeking the good. Let, let's wrap up with seven rapid fire questions. Every one of our guests, Ingrid, have been asked these seven questions. So you are now join, joining a powerful legion of phenomenal joy spotters. You are now one more. But the first question asked of all of them is, what is the most impactful or inspirational book you have ever read? Oh, my goodness. And it, it doesn't have to be, well, John, my life changed when I was in seventh grade. It could be something you read recently that really made a mark on you. I think a book that is just a really simple but powerful book is called A Pattern Language by Christopher Alexander. And it is, it's a tome, it's, it's a doorstop, but it looks at timeless patterns in the ways that we create everything from small corners of our homes all the way up to towns, cities, and communities. And it's all about the way that space shapes us in the way that we shape our space. So mm. that book, I think, I don't think I'd be doing the work that I'm doing in the way that I am without that book. What is one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little girl growing up that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I mean, I was a pretty resilient little kid. I think I'm still resilient, but I certainly look to that child as a role model of resilience because, um, mm -hmm. my childhood was not easy. Uh, and, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that child, that child had a, an ability to find the light always. Mm. Well, that child became a woman who reminds us we can too. So if, you, if your house caught fire and your little alarm clock, your husband, your animals, everybody is out safe and you have an opportunity to run back in and grab one item, what's the one thing you come racing back outside with? I have a box of photos of family and can I take the whole box take or just box. one photo? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I have photos of my grandparents. It's just amazing. We take so many photos now. They just live on our phones. We have millions of photos, but of my grandparents, I only have a handful of photos and uh, those are really precious to me. Mm. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day, watching those waves lap in, who's one person you'd like to be seated there next to you, living or dead? My husband. Oh, that's great. Yeah. He's uh, yeah. Very lucky that he's the person I would choose there. Cool. Very good. What's the best advice you've ever received? 
the only constant in life is change. That was my dad. And that one, I feel all the time. It's very helpful to, I mean, certainly an underlying philosophy in my work, but it also is made me very comfortable with adapting to new circumstances and recognize not getting too committed to something that I can't let myself adapt when circumstances change. It is surprising that for millennia, we've struggled, we've, the only constant is change. And yet we seem surprised when change arrives. You, you would have thought by now we would be looking forward to it and navigate directly into it. But gosh, it does seem that it always catches us off guard. It does. So the sixth question is this, what would you tell your 20 year old self? This young design student, I would imagine back then looking forward with great optimism, what's the advice you would whisper into her ear? I would say, um, you don't have to have all the answers ever. And I think that goes with this idea that, and maybe I would, I would say something else, which is um, follow the questions. Hmm. Because I think every time I'm engaged, inspired and excited in life, it's because I know what questions I'm trying to answer in life. I'm focused on the questions. And every time I feel stuck and weighed down, it's because I feel like I'm trying to have answers. I'm trying to come up with answers to something. And as soon as I turn my attention back to what am I curious about? What do I wanna know? It's like an inexhaustible well of curiosity and excitement. And more sentences with question marks. It's a wonderful way to, to navigate life in every aspect of your life. So the seventh and final question is this. It has been said that all great people and mothers and writers and thinkers and designers can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Ingrid, how would you like your one sentence to read? She made joy. I don't know if it could be any more succinct than that. Ingrid Fatali did indeed make joy. She wrote about joy. She researched, she designed it. Now she's raising joy and she's reminding the rest of us that it remains discoverable again in our lives as well. Ingrid, thank you for making a little bit of time to share that joy with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My friends, that is Ingrid Fatel lee My name is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Find joy, it's there for you, and live inspired. And now, a word from our friends at Keeley Companies. Keeley Companies aspires to be a true leader for businesses and communities. In the words of their CEO, my friend, his name is Rusty Keeley, with a world-class culture focused on people and customer-centric approach. We're truly in the business of people. Check more out about Keeley Companies at KeeleyCompanies.com.